Welcome to the Reach Your Summit podcast, where we help you navigate the path to a better, more secure future. I'm your host today, Stephanie Brinkman, and I'm the Marketing Administrator at Summit Wealth Group. Dan Gilbertson, CFP and Vice President, based out of our Lakewood, Colorado location, is back for our third episode of this month's theme, which is estate planning. Welcome back, Dan. Stephanie, it's great to be back. The first episode that Dan and I recorded together was Estate Planning 101 that was published on May 3rd. Then we discussed the top estate planning mistakes that people tend to make. If you haven't listened to those two episodes yet, I highly recommend starting with that. So Dan, the problem is loved ones are left to make difficult decisions if an estate plan wasn't set up. Today we're going to go through a step-by-step guide on what you should do if a loved one dies to help you navigate the difficult decisions you'll have to make. No one likes thinking about this, but not having a plan only makes it more difficult. Dan, you have unfortunately experienced this firsthand when your first wife passed away. Yeah, I did. And uh, I had a wife who passed away 32 years ago from leukemia. And unfortunately, whether you're going through this in your early years or your later years, it's a very emotional time. Fortunately, we had a plan and uh, we were prepared with what's what was ahead for us or what could have been ahead for us. So, But it can be very overwhelming with all of the things you need to do as you go through this whole process. The challenge is that you're not thinking straight. I mean, you're in a fog after somebody after a loved one passes away. It's a big adjustment, and it's very important to plan for this ahead of time if you, if you possibly can. So you can focus on yourself and your family as much as possible. Yeah, for sure. That's really good advice. Thank you for sharing that. Let's dive into the step-by-step guide. Um, what's the f- first recommendation that you would make? The first one is obtain legal documentation of death. Uh, my grandpa passed away in March of 2020, and I learned that it costs per copy of each death certificate. It totally makes sense, but that's something I would never think about. I thought that was really interesting. How many copies of a death certificate should you get? You can get by with about five certificates. I mean, it, it varies. Most companies allow a copy, so if you have original copies, you can make copies for some of the companies. If you run out, you can get additional copies. Now, these certificates will be important uh, with updating the titles or any investments that you have, property, uh, whether it's real estate, whatever type of property, bank or credit union accounts, uh, things such as that, and anything that you held as joint title. Now, if you weren't married, you'll still need uh, these certificates for a variety of different reasons. What's the second step in this guide, Dan? Yeah, before we get into professional organizations to contact, here are some immediate organizations you should contact. And some of these you would think are, are common sense. But remember, you're going through a very emotional time. It's a very difficult time for you. So I would say some of the immediate uh, organizations to contact, number one, your funeral home. Next one is, is if you have a place of worship, you should contact them. Close family and friends. I'll never forget that day when we had to contact our family and friends when she passed away. Obviously, a lot of our family and friends knew it, but reaching out to them is a very emotional time. Um, Deceased's current and past employers. Why would someone need to notify a past employer? That's a great question, Stephanie. So past employers, if you're deceased, they may have a pension, uh, other benefits that, that they have, and you want to make sure you update that information. So I would say a couple of additional things, the executor, the executor of the state, or a trustee if you have a personal trust. 
We have defined those two terms in our previous episode. So like I said, if you didn't listen to those, go back. Those are the foundations of estate planning, and then this will all make sense for you. Yeah, I'll tell you, this list, it's not all-inclusive. There's a, there's an extensive list, which we can discuss at any time if you have personal questions, but this can become very overwhelming. Now, one of the things my wife and I did before she had passed away was keep a spreadsheet of our fixed and variable expenses and the company information. We also had a list of organizations that we would need to contact, as well as their contact information. Now, with the following list, some of these would pertain to married couples and some for single individuals. Keep in mind, though, with this type of list that, that my wife and I put together, it was so helpful because I handled the outside finances. She handled the internal finances, the budget, things like that. So she was always doing that. You know, it's tragic that she passed away. The beauty of it was I didn't skip a beat. She had everything listed. I was able to contact and keep the bills uh, being paid, and, and it worked really well. So some of these organizations that you need to contact, like I said before, bank and credit unions, and, as, and you need the account numbers. Financial advisory or investment firms, and the, you need to know the account numbers on these. Insurance companies and their policy numbers. That's such as life, health, uh, dental insurance, disability, long-term care, auto and homeowners, and on a side note, make sure these organizations have your updated estate documents, okay? Other organizations, mortgage companies, your state attorney, if you have one, tax preparers or CPAs, Social Security office. I thought it was interesting after my wife passed away, I got a check within a few days from Social Security Administration for a whole $250 or $255. It's, it's kind of an odd thing, but they sent that out right away. Your doctor's office, dentist's office, other healthcare uh, professionals, any associations, clubs, unions, and other professional organizations. Service service advisors such as housekeepers, groundskeepers, trash collectors, any organizations. These are things you don't typically think of, but uh, if, if you're a single person and somebody's handling your estate, these are organizations that you need to contact so they're aware of it. If you have a landlord credit card companies, the U.S. Postal Office, um, they need to up the, update that information there. Your Social Security Administration, I promise I'm almost done here, but like I said, the, the list keeps going on and on. Your Veterans Administration, this is a very important one. There may be some end-of-life benefits that the deceased is entitled to. Department of Motor Vehicles, credit reporting agencies. Do we have a list of this that we provide clients? Good question. Now, this is a very detailed list, as I said. So if you would like to have specific details or if we can help, please reach out to us and we'll, and let us know. Yeah, Dan, like you said, that list is long, but there are a lot of things that in the moment you're not going to think about. So being able to have a list to refer back to will make this process a lot easier. What is the third step in this guide? Yeah, the third step is make arrangements for the body. Now, this is such an important area. First, when your loved one passes away, you'll need to inform the funeral home so they can transport the body. In our case, I mean, we, we lived in South Dakota at the time, and, and uh, she had, my wife had passed away in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So it was a four-hour trip. So they came up there and actually transported my wife's body back to the funeral home in, in South Dakota. Any final arrangements that need to be made greatly depend on your loved one's last wishes, or at least they should. 
Now, doing this proactively will make the funeral or the celebration of life more meaningful. So prior to my wife's death, we prepared everything. She wrote down the details of her service, including her favorite Bible passages, songs to be sung at the funeral, comments that the pastor added to his message, and uh, as well as we picked out the casket, things such as that. It just makes it much more meaningful. We determined her, uh, her burial site. Both of our, actually, we, we went through the process, both of us did, and, and we both had a burial site. Now, if you intend to be cremated, it helps to do this ahead of time and provide your wishes there, too. In the best circumstances, you'll know and can honor their vision easily because you'll have a clear understanding of what they wanted. And if the death was sudden or if there was never a conversation about what should happen, things can become very complicated. It's also important to know and honor if your loved one wanted to donate his or her organs for transplant science research, although that would be something that a doctor needs to know immediately following the death. You're covering a lot of great information here, Dan. Uh, what is the next step? If your loved one had any dependents, such as minor children or adults who can't take care of themselves, even pets, you need to find their estate plans quickly to see what, if any, provisions were set up for guardianship, and you need to contact those people. Definitely. Dan, we covered this in Estate Planning 101, but can you remind the listeners what happens to minor children if a will or a trust hasn't been located? Absolutely. This is a critical area. If you die without a will, or if you haven't appointed a guardian for your minor children, this can become a very contentious time. And with all the emotions you and your family are going through, you don't need this, especially since this could be avoided. Now, over the years of talking to clients, many times I ask the question, do you know who will raise your kids if something happens to you while they're still minors? And they usually have someone picked out. If you die without a will or you haven't appointed a guardian, this will go through the courts and they will determine who will be the guardian or the custodian of your kids. The typical course of who would raise the minor kids goes through the bloodline. So in other words, mothers and fathers are first, then brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, and so on. So if you picked your sister, just as an example, if you picked your sister, this may not happen, and it could be a battle of your family members. So if you have minor kids, you need to appoint a guardian in your will, and you need to have that conversation with that person so they understand their potential responsibilities. You'd be amazed at how many times I have this conversation and somebody has picked a guardian, but they haven't told that person they're going to be a guardian if something were to happen. Wow, that'd be quite the surprise having a couple of minor children show up on your doorstep and you're their new guardian. Yeah, absolutely. And and another tip, you know, on a side note, if you do appoint a guardian, you might even want to think about setting aside some life insurance because if they're raising your kids in a tragic situation like this, to help finance that or spend the money on those kids, it's going to come out of your own pocket. So it wouldn't hurt to have a little life insurance set aside for them. That's a really good point. All right, Dan, what is the fifth step in this guide? So the fifth area is carry out the decedent's wishes. If you haven't already located, now is a good time to find the will and other estate planning documents. These documents should help, should help you as you begin planning the memorial service or funeral, which we'll cover in the next step. Now, as I said earlier, it's, in, it's more meaningful if you plan and specify the type of ceremony you desire, including important end-of-life decisions. Definitely. 
Uh, when I was preparing for this episode, I came across a new term, which is digital estate. Dan, what does that mean? Yeah, I know it counts, sounds kind of strange, but uh, it's a very important area. So first, I'll explain what digital property or digital, digital assets are. This is any information about you or created by you that exists in digital form, either online or on an electronic storage device. So as you can imagine, in, in the world we live in today, much of, the, much of our information is online or in the cloud. You hear about the cloud all the time. And if we don't have this information in a secure place to access, that would be a problem if we pass away and we're the only one who knows where the passwords and the users are and other information to access this. So digital estate planning is the process of organizing your digital property and assets and making the arrangements for what should happen to that property after you pass away. So in a world where all of these electronic and digital devices are supposed to make our lives better and more efficient, this could really complicate things if we die and nobody has access to that information. Yeah, I am kind of old school, so I like to write down everything. Um, I still handwrite my to-do list every day for the week. Um, so I have a list of my passwords written down and basically all of this, but just written down. So when the day comes, if I'm, that list is there and whoever needs it can refer to yeah. it. And the thing my wife and I, my current wife and I do is we have a password protected spreadsheet in Excel and we keep that as long as we never forget what the password is to get into that spreadsheet, we're going to be good. But it has a list of everything. That's a really good suggestion. I should probably change over to that method instead. Okay, Dan, what is the sixth step in this guide? So the sixth step is uh, you want to make your, your funeral plans. It's okay to ask for help during any part of this process. It's emotionally and mentally exhausting doing it by yourself. Yeah, it sure is. And, and as you're getting things arranged after death of a loved one, you will need to write the obituary and death announcement. And it's a good idea to lean on trusted family members or friends. Now, as a result, you may get varied opinions from these people, so it's best to make sure you're doing what is best for you and what you think is best for the lo your loved one who's passed away. It's, but it's nice to have help taking you through this process, somebody to lean on. So as I mentioned earlier, the following can go much more smoothly if you plan ahead. Things such as coordinating funeral arrangements, determining, you know, the memorial type, um, coordinating tasks like flowers, food, gathering after the funeral. So when my wife passed away, we all congregated downstairs in the, of the church after the funeral, and uh, they served lunch for us. And, and that way it gave us an opportunity to to talk to people afterwards. Yeah, nice way to celebrate her life. Um, Dan, what is the seventh step? So the seventh step is settling the estate. So there are several steps to getting an estate settled that can be a long process. Focusing on one thing at a time will make it a lot easier. So as an executor, reach out to the beneficiaries, any trustees, people like that, responsible people. Keep all the parties informed and up to date with what's going on. And it's very important to keep detailed and accurate financial records and notes as you settle the estate. I've had this conversation as clients have gone through this whole process. And I said, the number one thing you want to make sure you do when you're in a position of responsibility, keep good notes. Because if anybody ever comes back to you and asks questions, you have documented notes and you're covered. You need to determine uh, the need for probate. Now, probate is simply the process of the court validating the will and, and then distributing the assets. If you have the assets set up properly ahead of time, 
including your home, these assets will bypass probate and the cost and the time to go through this process. If you have to work with probate, do you have to reach out to the courts yourself or how does that work? If you, ha- if you have to go through probate, basically you do a filing and, and it goes through the probate court. You, you put, I know the process, I'm having a hard time explaining it. <laughs> you don't have to say it exactly, um, but I, that was just more of a personal question I was wondering. When you're trying to settle the estate, going through a will, you make it public and any creditors that come in, they, they make a claim on the estate. And as a result, it typically takes several months, up to nine months, to settle the actual estate and go through probate. Now, if there is a trust, probate can potentially be avoided. Paying the bills and closing accounts, that's another important area. So you'll you'll likely need to set up a bank account in the estate's name to handle any financial dealings through these final stages. And like I said, keep detailed records of this. Then you have to distribute the assets. The main purpose of estate planning is to distribute assets to the intended recipients. Now, once you're at the stage and all the debts, taxes, uh, the estate owes have been settled, you'll finally be able to make sure all remaining assets go to the appropriate beneficiaries as directed by the will or trust. Now, keep in mind, you as the executor, you don't want to distribute all the assets until the estate is settled. Because if somebody comes back and makes a claim on the estate, and all the money has been distributed, the executor could be personally responsible for paying that debt. Oh, that is a good good tidbit of knowledge there. Thank you. What if someone dies without a will? You know, we talked about this a little bit in previous podcasts, but if someone dies without a will, it's called intestate, the estate will go through the probate process and the courts will determine who will receive what. Now, there will be additional costs and it'll take a lot longer to settle the estate. And if you die without a will and it does go through the courts, you may be giving money to to family members that you didn't intend on giving it to. So I would recommend you do this ahead of time, get it done, you have that peace of mind, and uh, and it's going to go to the people you want those assets to go to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What I would encourage you to do is if you have additional questions, whether it's the list, details of your specific estate, your specific experience reach out to us because we're happy to help in any way we possibly can. Yes, definitely. Grief is a complicated and and often painful experience to navigate, and that's why having a will or the proper documentation can simplify the estate planning process. Thank you so much for your time today, Dan, and coming back for our third episode together. I'm looking forward to our fourth um, next week. It was a pleasure, Stephanie. I always enjoy doing these things with you, but uh, I hope we can help some people through this process. I hope so. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Reach Your Summit podcast brought to you by Summit Wealth Group. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions or topics that you'd like us to cover, please email info at summitwealthgroup.com. Thanks again.